You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Darlene. She's got a fucked up story about how trauma holds us back. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Hey, Scott. Dan, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing all right. I've got gout and my toe hurts. But other than that, I'm doing okay. Oh, no. Gout in the toe. So I recently met someone with gout in his knee. And uh, he very well might be a listener. If not, I'll make sure that he listens to this one. So he gets a shout out, shout out for having terrible gout in his knee and not being able to walk. I've had gout in my toe also. And it's a pretty miserable fucking thing. That's a that's an episode in itself. Darlene's here. I hope Darlene, have you ever had the gout? Oh, is no. that a personal question? Not to my knowledge. Not to my <laughs> knowledge. It's personal, but not to my knowledge have I had it. Okay. Well, good. I, I would not wish that upon you. If if I don't know if you've had been close to someone who has had gout, but the first time I got it, I could not sleep because every time the sheet brushed my toe, it fucking woke me up in excruciating pain. It is the weirdest thing. Yeah. And it makes you feel like a real big pansy because your toe hurts and you like the sh- you can't even have the sheet touch it. It's yeah. it's really embarrassing. Yeah. I remember walking from like our little my little office area to my bedroom and sitting down in the hallway floor in the middle of that walk like I just can't do this. I just gave up. Luckily I've only had it twice, but this is not the gout show. This is positively terrible and we've got Darlene here today. Uh Darlene, what are you here to talk about? I'm here to talk about how my trauma has held me back. Okay. And and why don't we tell the listeners just what a little bit about what that trauma is? Well, in my master's program, which I had been wanting to be in for many years, when I finally got in, I ended up having a professor that caused me quite a bit of trauma and mm. I needed to file a human rights complaint against her. Ouch. So that's, that is, uh, I don't know anything about the story other than it sounds like it is qualifies as a fucked up story. And thank you for coming to share today. But really quickly, before we get into your story, we're going to do the usual. And uh, I'm going to start begging soon for people to get this decent fucking... See, quit shaking your head every time, Dan. It's, I, I swear to you, people are going to get this. I am... Darlene, I am offering to pay for people to get tattooed upon their body the words decent fucking human. And for those who are a little less comfortable with having swear words on their body, we can do DFH as well. We're, we're doing, I'm, I'm paying up to five people to get it. I have interest. You know, getting a tattoo is something that takes a little bit of at, at work. You think about, at least for me, uh, I think about it. I, it takes me forever to do it. So 
I will pay for it for people. So we're going to get it. Uh, we're going to get there, Dan. I think that there is nothing more boring than talking about the tattoos that you're going to get. Well, nobody I'm, cares. And nobody's I'm, gotten this one. So when you have someone who's gotten a tattoo, I would love to talk about you, it. But Jesus it, Christ, no, I am bored no, of talking about tattoos that haven't been gotten. You've no and notice that it's moved up to the first thing that I'm bringing up in our house. Yeah, I can't wait to tell you about the panther thing. that I want to get on my back. It's going to be that, huge, and it's going to be ripping out of my flesh. It's going to be so awesome. That's all right, and then. You do that, and we can put pictures on the the Instagram. And yeah, we we're will. gonna do it at the top of every show. Okay. I'm gonna tell you about all, all right. the details moving of how my pants had to. Moving on, we also are always open, looking for guests. Uh, we've got quite a few cool ones lined up right now, so feeling pretty good about the guest list, especially Darlene here today. Definitely, but but I but I absolutely you know encourage you if you've got stories to tell, if you've got friends with stories. Send us an email, podcast at positivelyterrible.com, or hit us up on Instagram or through Facebook. Both of those were at Positively Terrible. So we are easy to find. Uh, and of course, find us on all of the podcast platforms. I just felt like saying that. If you're listening already, I know you've already found us. But anyway, Darlene, okay, you are here to talk about... Uh, I, I don't even know how to, how to kind of wrap this up into a sentence. I mean, you already did, but you had a very, I'll, I'll say, I'll start by saying unusual and traumatic experience, it sounds like. So tell us a little bit about you. You, you said that this was in your master's program. What were you, what, what career were you going after or what, what education were you pursuing at this point? Well, ironically enough, it's, it was a master's in, in social work. Okay, so were you already doing some social work? Yeah, so I have a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Social Work, and okay. it's a Master of Social Work, and it's also in in an anti-oppressive, anti-colonial field. So you would think that folks would be nicer on better behavior, <laughs> however you want to put that. But it's not generally the case. And and the same thing with social workers. We would hope that social workers would abide by the social work code of ethics. And that's not that's not always happening. Okay. And I'm sorry, I got totally distracted. I don't know if you guys could hear my phone ringing. Uh I have the I have it on mute, but it was coming still coming through the Bluetooth speaker that it was connected to. So, yeah, I read on Reddit that you're supposed to silence those things before you start a podcast. I I, I said I have it on <laughs> mute, but I don't know why it just rang. Darlene, I'm sorry. This episode's going to suck, and it's not your fault. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's keeping the streak going. So <laughs> have to get the tattoo to remind me of this day. Yes, yes, yes. A actually, so back to the tattoo since we've brought it back around. Please. No. <laughs> you no, have. Well, Whoops, do you have one of these tattoos, Scott? Not even I, Scott's gotten one. My my plan is to get it next month. And 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 a, a one of our listeners keeps saying, I can't wait to do this. When can we do this? So we're gonna go together next month. So we're gonna have two. Anyway, we are seven minutes in and we spent four of them talking about a tattoo, and we can do that the rest of the time. But I, I don't want Mike to send us text saying well, that we're 12 minutes in and he's not sure where we're going with this yet, because that's what a friend and former guest does. Darlene, he's a very, very wonderful guy. 
Okay, so you you said oppressive. How did you put that oppressive human? Uh, what 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 exactly did you say? So it's a master of social work, and it's in okay. a, a discipline that is anti-colonial and anti-oppressive. Okay, and how'd you choose that? Because those are my values. So okay. my my first degree, so I my first degree, my bachelor of arts is in women's studies and native studies. So okay. it, you know, all of my studies have been around anti-oppression and mm-hmm. you know combating systemic injustice and and advocacy and activism. So I chose this specific program. It had been in the works for about a decade, and I had worried about doing the regular master in social work because the bachelor is very colonial and that's not my politics. It's not my values. And I worried about the things that would come up and the quality of the articles and the instruction because I did my bachelor of social work and I struggled with a lot of the curriculum due to the what it was about and how it was taught to us. So Mm -hmm. when this program came out, I was in the third cohort. So again, it was, you know, in the works for about 10 years and I had been Mm -hmm. looking at different programs um, all around. So this is all three of my degrees are from my home university here. Okay. Where I am. Okay. And And, yeah, where's that? In Manitoba. Ah, I heard the aboots. (laughs) i did (laughs) i'm staying out of this one i i am absolutely staying out of this one okay so i what i heard that i i liked and and i'm just gonna just say this really quickly is that dan and i shared a therapist i i recently graduated so i'm not in my therapy anymore but he speaks a lot about living to your values. So the idea that you've had the opportunity to pursue, I shouldn't say the opportunity. What I should say is the awareness to pursue something that is in line with your values is kind of an amazing thing because a lot of us never even think of life in that way or live that intentionally. So was that, so that was the plan from the start then? I mean, did you, when did you start your, pursuit of higher education? Was it right after high school? Mm -mm, No, I've always had a really shitty relationship with school. So I grew up with a dad who is an alcoholic. And so I I grew up with some childhood experiences and traumas that carried with me throughout my years, which would then, of course, sometimes, I shouldn't say of course, but sometimes then bleed into our adult relationships mm-hmm. if we're not being careful and with and if we're not being intentional then though it can bleed in and we can get into these same patterns that we have in the past so when I was a teenager I, like I had dropped out of school so many times that I had finally gone back to school I when I was 20 just to do my mature my mature mature student degree. So I had okay. four, four credits at that time. And was that, I, is that actually like getting your high school, like yeah, finishing it, high school in your twenties? Yeah. Got it. 
So I, I had my daughter when I was 18 and I figured now I have to go to school now, no more fucking around. And so I did. And then I started working after I graduated. So again, that was 20. And then university was never on the table for me. I wasn't really, even though it was, it was talked about in my family, it wasn't really valued in the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think it, well, I know because I was such a wild child that my parents and the adults around me didn't talk about post-secondary with me because it was just, you you wouldn't have thought that I would have gone. So mm -hmm. at some point I was working paycheck to paycheck. I had this daughter, she was about six years old. And I was like, how am I going to get more money? How am I going to get more money? I need to get more money. I can't live paycheck to paycheck. And I was like, I'll go to school. It was just like that. I'm going to go and get a degree so I can get paid more. It wasn't about learning anything. It wasn't about, you know, having, uh, choosing the proper career because I didn't even think about things like that. It was about getting right. a degree and getting paid more. So then I had to actually choose what I was going to be or what I was mm. going to do, what classes I was going to take for which degree. And I had looked at social work at that time. So at this point now, I was 25. Because I didn't have all those credits from high school and you know, a very high GPA, I, I was a mature student. I applied as a mature student for university so I could still get in. But also, I'm here in Canada. So Canada's a little it's quite a bit different than the states for a university college where you have to be you're very it's very competitive in the states where we apply and we get in that's how it works okay. and to certain fields and i was going in for a general degree so you apply and if you meet the basic qualifications you're in and so i had looked at social work and i thought oh i don't want to be a social worker even though it was in it was somewhat what I was doing anyway, you know, talking to people, listening to people, being there for people, wanting to support people. Mm. And I thought, I don't you want to. Per in your personal life, you mean? That's right. Okay. And, and I thought, I didn't want to do that because there's a high rate of burnout, people who are supporting people. Like, how do they do it all the time? It's exhausting. And I thought, I'm not doing it. So in my university, we apply for just, we, we start applying for courses. We just register for courses and then we, we can choose ba like based on, or we can choose after we have 30 credit hours. So a full year of school. Okay. And while I was looking at programs, I wanted to go into this program called recreation studies. So it's in the faculty of what's the phys ed maybe that's the faculty it's it, with kinesiology okay rec studies they do like Got it. event management or sports management and whatnot and i thought that would be a really great career mm -hmm. and it'd be quite a bit of fun so i took some introductory to int introductory courses the two courses i could take before being in that faculty so then after mm -hmm. we do our first 30 credit hours then we have to declare what are, you know, which faculty we want to go into and whatnot, or department, if it's a Bachelor of Arts or Science. So I ended up finding uh, or going to a women's studies course, somebody I knew. Uh, I didn't know people who really went to university. I didn't, I didn't know this world. And so yeah. I 
met this person. I was, I was volunteering on the crisis lines. Like I was on, I was volunteering with suicide crisis lines at the time. And we had a community binder that we would go through every week. So we had, you know, the binder of the, the folks who would be calling in so we could see what the issues are, if they had called on our shift and whatnot. And then we had another one. So, you know, telling us about community events and, and different things going on. And in there, there was someone who had put a call out for her master's thesis. She was doing this. She was, she was doing a program and I, applied and I got in and I did that with her. And she had told me, she was the only person to my knowledge who I knew who was doing a master's at the time. And uh, at that time in my life, I mean, and I ended up, or she ended up telling me about this amazing instructor in a women's studies course or in in the women's studies department teaching this women's studies course. And so she, I, I just jumped on it because mm. I didn't have anybody to tell me what to do in university. I didn't have anybody to, to guide me along. And so I went into that course or I didn't get into that course because it wasn't being offered anymore. And that instructor, that professor was actually moving to another university. And so I just took another women's studies course and it changed my life. And that's, and that then I ended up going that route. So that's when I started okay. learning about anti-oppression, systemic injustice, and you know colonialism and colonial patriarchy and everything that oppresses us. So that's how I I just stumbled upon it. Somebody's like, take this course, and yeah. it ended up being you know the traje- trajectory of my whole life. Even now, yeah. I do feminist coaching with women. Wow. Well, well, I, I, well, I, I have to ask. You know, I, and and I don't want to make assumptions, but I am a little bit. You know, this was introduced to you in in college, but you said you grew up with like an an alcoholic father. Were these was this type of education something that your your family growing up that they would have believed in, or was this all kind of new to you? This value set. Yeah, the latter for sure. So I was always, my, my whole life, you know, I was always poked at for not being, you know, not being a traditional woman mm-hmm. in the way where I wasn't interested in a lot of family events. I wasn't interested in helping my mom cook Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever cooked one. Of my, I Actually, I remember cooking one or in my early twenties along with somebody else, but I've never cooked one ever since and never on my own. I don't even know how. And (laughs) I think I may have just put a ham in the oven at that point, even like I didn't make a Turkey. Right. It's traditional. And so, uh, same with like Thanksgiving or Easter, like, I don't know what the hell to do. Can we just like order tacos or something? Like, so I, I would say, that a ham in the oven and tacos make a phenomenal <laughs> holiday meal and you're not doing anything that's not phenomenal. I just want to point I, that out. I, I don't know where I, I, I was going to get on the app and uh, look for tacos and ham for lunch, but I don't know. I don't know if there's a tacos and ham restaurant nearby. 
but it, it sounds like you're doing all right to me. And uh, what I will say is if you ever have a holiday where you need plans to like not do anything, I, I am your guy. I, I, I am not the, Oh God, their work, it's work. And I, that I don't want to do. And I I'm having guests over this evening and I'm kind of dreading that already. And man, get luckily, a ham, put it in the oven. You'll let, be set. Luckily they won't hear this until after the, you know, they won't know that I'm dreading having people over until after they, they come and go, but so you order anyway. tacos. Yes, that I mean there is a very good chance. I I said something earlier about making sausages and you know throwing some stuff on the grill tonight, but that does nah nah. I'll, I'm going to order something. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Grill, getting sausages. Oh, oh I can, the the look of empathy <laughs> in your eyes right now. I I mean I see that you feel this to your core, and I you are enabling me to be lazy tonight though. So thank you for that. Which also is enabling me to have more fun at my own little gathering. Right. So it's not being lazy. It's actually working with your true self, really honoring I... what you need and what you can do and not doing what society tells us what we should be doing. Exactly. And what's the point of a party? You want to get together with people that you like, have a good time. Mm-hmm. What's a good time required? Like places to sit, things to eat conversation if uh, and drinks if that's how it's something to drink and if you can get those four things done you win you don't have to do it on china plates you don't have to spend 12 hours in the kitchen to accomplish those four things yeah i wasn't going to do any of that 12 hours in the kitchen for 12 minutes of eating (laughs) yeah i well i just so everyone's clear i wasn't planning on doing 12 hours in the kitchen today but I am planning on enjoying some some low key hangs at my house tonight without any cooking. So uh, mm-hmm. now that we got that out of the way, the the we we keep getting sidetracked by the important stuff. But um, so where were we? You we talked to, we were talking about a little bit about your values and growing up and how you didn't weren't necessarily considered like the traditional kind of girl woman. And yeah. that means, so when you kind of got, oh, go ahead. I wasn't compliant. I've never been compliant. And that was oh, a yeah. problem for my parents who wanted me to be compliant. And of course, for an alcoholic father who wants everything their way all the time. And he was quite abusive. And so, you know, my mom living in that, she, I can imagine the things just seeing it now, looking at what, it was like then she's just trying to keep the peace and go with the flow wants me to also comply. So I'm the problem because she's not aware of patriarchy. She's not aware that this is a problem bigger than me and that he's the problem. And the patriarchy is the problem because it's so oppressive. And and she's trying to survive at that point. Right. Right. And, and I'm sure you, you had your own ways to survive as well, but maybe not in that little box that would have made her life easier and, and maybe even your life easier to some extent. Yeah, probably. So, so it, it, it sounds like in, and, and even, you know, you said that there wasn't talk of university. Was that because like you said, I think you referred to yourself even as a wild child or something to that effect. Was 
was education not as important to to your parents or was it really that it didn't seem like that was something you were cut out for at least from their perspective uh, i would say that i remember my mom having bank accounts like small bank accounts not a lot of money cuz she didn't have mm-hmm. lots of money but i remember her having small bank accounts for me and my brother for post secondary in some way and okay. she so my my dad's born in 46 and my mom's born in 48 so of course times were quite a bit different yeah. and they didn't come from families that went that sought out post secondary so after my mom graduated the canadian government or the manitoba government was encouraging people to become teachers. And so they were paying for people to go to school to do a teaching certificate. And Mm -hmm. I believe it was a year long. So my mom did that in, I think about 68, in about 1968. And then she was a a teacher. And my dad was a handy person. He worked at CN on the trains. His dad worked at CN, like their whole career. His brother also worked at CN. So they did labor type work. Mm-hmm. Um, in, I mean, this is industrialization, right? Like this is the industrial times. And so they had very good paying jobs without post-secondary. So my dad didn't even, I don't, I don't even think that he finished grade 10, which was very okay. back then. Okay. So my mom did graduate. My dad, my dad didn't. She did that teaching certificate. And then later on in the 80s, she went back to school. She did night school to do her Bachelor of Arts. So they didn't. So now you have to do a, a Bachelor of Arts and pick a teachable for, for, um, for a major. Okay. And then you can go on and do the second degree, which is a bachelor of education. But back in the eighties, she didn't have to do that, but they were paying more if somebody had a university degree. So she was, so she went back to school when we were young and did it part-time at night just to get her bachelor of arts. So she could get paid more when she worked. But it so she was the first one to get a university degree, but it still wasn't valued and it wasn't that that's not the way we were brought up. Okay. So kind of the same reason I did it at first. Right. Yeah. You know, and, just get paid more. And and look, I, I mean, there's something to say for that. <laughs> right. I, I mean, you you look for ways to 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 make more to change your life in college has been one of those historically much harder today than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, because it costs so much, at least I, I, you know, and I don't know what the situation is in Canada, but in the U S it's, it's kind of gross right now. And I will admit to the fact that I've probably paid more than I borrowed for my student loans and still owe at least as much as I borrowed for my student loans, because for what, you know, when I first came out, I was, they were sending me bills for $800 a month and I was making next to nothing. And so I just tried to get as low a payment as I could, which didn't even cover, you know, the interest at the time. So it grew and grew and it's, it's, 
kind of disgusting. So that's not always the way to make more money today. But for your mom, it sounds like she made the decision that was right for her, made it specifically for financial reasons, which is okay. Uh, eventually, you grow up, you get your life. I, so did you feel like you were getting your life back on track then? Or did you feel like it was already on track when you were starting u- university? Because that it sounds like you had a, a child young. Yeah, and- I, don't I, I, I don't think I had... I don't think I realized anything at that age. I don't think I was, you know, aware enough to even to even be able to think I had my life on track. Okay. So when I was young, I was in in grade 6, I was diagnosed with ADHD. So okay. I had been I I you know, I misbehaved in school and so they 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 tested us and and whatnot. I didn't even know that I was being tested and I didn't know that it came back as ADHD. Uh until one time when I was kicked out of a school, the first time I was kicked out of school in grade 10, my first time in grade 10, and we were changing schools because I, I could no longer return to that one school. So we we're changing okay. schools. And I remember sitting with my mom in the, the office with the administrator and she told him that, that I had ADHD. And I looked at her and said, I, what I do. And I had, I had no idea. So I wasn't, you know, given any type of support for this, not even medication. And wow. so then when I went to university, the first time I ended up getting on the wait list to get tested again, thinking like, do I have this? Like, can, can I get some support for this or whatnot? So I ended up getting the diagnosis, I believe my last year in my first degree. So maybe about 06 or 07. And I, it came back as ADHD combined type with a reading disorder. So combined type, there's two types of ADHD. And so I have, I'm lucky enough to have both and then a reading disorder. And I don't really know what the reading disorder means, but to me, what it means is, you know, when I'm sitting there reading, I, I get distracted. It's not that I have a hard time being able to read. It's that I can't concentrate on it enough. Do you have to read the same page three times like I do? Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't. Uh, so when and I'd be in school at any age, I remember any age, you know, when they would say, oh, uh, little Johnny, you read now. And then it's little Susie's turn to read now to read out in loud, out loud oh, in, cla- in class. I would dread that. And then when I did, I would stammer because I couldn't even I, 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 I couldn't even pay attention when I was reading it out loud. You're, you're, you're triggering me right now. In third grade, <laughs> my name got written on the board because, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say her, Mrs. Game. Don't edit that out, Dan. This oh, is we're important. calling her out right Mrs. now. Game Mrs. Game called on me to read and I had just lost my place. I'm following along. Other people are reading out loud. She calls on me to read. I was, and I was the perfect student back then. I did everything my teachers told me to get my fucking name written on the fucking board for just losing my place at the time she happened to call on me. Oh, I hate that. I Mrs. Game. I hope you're listening. You, you ruined my third grade experience. And ultimately your life. 
In my life. Yes. Yes. And, Which is know, in shambles right now, Mrs. Game. <laughs> what I will say is you mentioned getting diagnosed ADHD fairly young, at least compared to me. And I was I was actually about to say congratulations, because like learning that at such a, a younger age, you know, first is I'm sure it, it's hard, but I'm sure you also learned some coping skills and but maybe you weren't. If you were, I mean, one of the best things about the diagnosis for me has been my ability to understand myself more. And yeah, if, if you, no one told you that and they're not offering you any support with that additional information, then and and that that happened through the school system, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, my my question for the school system 30 plus years ago is what the hell was that for? <laughs> why Why are you wasting everyone's time? That's right. And why are you kicking a student out that has a diagnosis of that and you're not offering any kind of support before kicking kids out? Well, they were awful back then. Yeah. They were awful. Yeah. I don't doubt that. It sounds like it. So, Well, clearly they're still awful. <laughs> uh, well, I've got a totally different direction I could take some of the questioning uh, off of that count, but I'm not going to yet. So when you did get reevaluated, did did you get treated at that point? And and I hate to use the word treated. I mean, it's not an illness, support. but yeah. it is something. We're yeah, support. Yeah. So what the university does is they give you your the write up, the report, and then they have the recommendations. So the psychologist gives the recommendations. So one was medication. One another one was I only had to do I believe sixty percent of a course load, and to be qualified as full time. Okay, and wow. I have extra time for tests and papers. Okay, oh, and I think that there was another one that I could have a designated note taker. So accessibility services, which at that time was called disability services at the at the university. Uh, it, they had note takers on staff who would do that type of work for folks, but it was the nice. end of my degree. And so I didn't access any of that. And then okay. in the second degree in my bachelor of social work, I used it twice. One time I used it to get extra time on a test. And another time I used it extra, uh, used it for extra time for an at-home exam. I got an extra week. So okay. so those are the only times I used it. I still was nervous to use it. I had a lot of shame around it. And yeah. people, you know, throw around ADHD. Well, I mean, it's, it's quite a bit more now. But even then, I didn't want to use it as a crutch, which is ridiculous. And I would never recommend that people did what I did, um, be, meaning not using the supports that were given to you, but just, you know, feeling like I, I could, I can do this on my own and not really probably not understanding the ADHD because I was still quite young. And then, so I use it a couple, those couple times and then I finished that degree and then and I never talked about it. I didn't, you know, talk about it in class. I didn't talk about it with my instructors. 
except for the one time that I use it for the take home exam. Mm. I said, I have this, you know, can I have this extra time? And she said, yes. And, you know, I told her that I had that, that document. I, I can't remember the logistics around it. So okay. then in my master's, I started talking about it more because I was in this field that was so specialized and people were talking about a lot of things that happened to them. And I have, I held a lot of shame around going to school because I couldn't learn like other people. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't understand. Like if you said, okay, these are the instructions right now, do A, B, and C, not even A, B, and C. You could just say, sit with a partner or work on your own and do A. For some reason, I didn't hear that something happened. Maybe my, I was like, oh, the butterflies, although there's no butterflies. So I just, I, that's where I would really see where I struggled when I was given instruction and couldn't comprehend or didn't hear it at all for whatever reason. And so probably lots of daydreaming is, is if I can, if I'm trying to explain it properly. And so I started talking about it because folks in my program, we had such a small program. So there's only 18 students per year that are 18 students per year that are accepted into this. And it's a cohort and it's very uh, intimate and we work all together like all the time. And then we didn't even have, I don't know if we started with 18. I think a couple of people, that's right. A couple of people were not on the intensive one year program that we were in. So it was an intensive one year of coursework. And in that time we would do our proposal for our thesis. And by spring, at least, or most people had started uh, doing their research for their thesis at that point. So it was, it was very condensed and very intimate and very fast paced and very, we were all very close, which is one of the reasons why this shit happened with this instructor is because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to rock the boat because we were such a tight knit group. I felt that if I came forward with the stuff that had happened, that I would ruin the group and it would have to this day when I look back and would I do something differently? I don't think I would in regards to going forward earlier. Maybe I would have moved away from that instructor. I, I like to think that I would have been like, you're a ton of red flags. You know, I can see your abusive behavior. I can see this gaslighting and just move away from that person. But again, I think, let me think. I think at that point we were like 11 students. So even moving away, and there was two professors who were full-time in our program, and she was one of them. So even if I wanted, I'd like to think that I would do something different, it was very, very hard. I thought about leaving the program, but I would have to, because the regular master's program was a like a complete different program, I'd have to reapply the courses wouldn't transfer over because these ones were specific to what we were dealing with and what this, this specialized degree was around. And so I would have had to start the classes over from the very beginning. It, it just would have been a total nightmare. I had, 
I had made friends in this program. Like we were all close. We all got along for the most part, I believe. And I had some really good friends, one good friend who saw everything that had happened and I would confide in her quite a bit. Uh, in the end, she fucked me over in the in, but I can get to that. And I still haven't finished. And that was, I started that program in 2018. I, I had finished all my research in June of 2018, started writing my thesis. And then when we were done classes in August, I pretty much dropped everything. I couldn't, I, after I was done, it was like I dropped, I couldn't, I had been holding on and holding this together for so long and I didn't want anything to do with this program and anything to do with this thesis. Although I felt so passionately about what I was researching, I, I, anytime I thought about it or, or looked at my research or thought about my research, it brought up all these feelings of all the shit that went through in the program. And so we finished in August and then in January, I seriously thought about, uh, doing a complaint. And then I started that. I went to the Dean, I told him what happened. And then I did a formal complaint through the, uh, human rights department at the university and handed that in in February of 2020, 2020. And then, well, March, everything shut down. So it was a lot. It, it it sounds like it. And I'm I'm pausing because Dan looked like he was starting to say something. I mean, yeah, it does sound like a lot. <laughs> and it's still not done. Are you are you able to finish your degree still? Are you able to get this, you know, so far as the rules of the program go? Is this something you can still finish at this point? Yeah, and my current advisor is really annoyed with me. So like <laughs> um so, you know, just quickly going back to the ADHD and because I haven't said anything about really, really what happened. So I, mm-hmm. I started talking about that and the struggles that I've had in school and talking about how I, you know, and I'm not the only one who has imposter syndrome and and specifically in school, but in, in, in general, in our careers and whatnot. Yeah felt For quite sure. a bit of that in in school because I never felt like I fit in because I was always in trouble at school and so I was trying to be open when I've never been open before so when we would have our sharing circles I that's what I would talk about and we literally had sharing circles because it's an indigenous based program and so that's what I would talk about is my struggles with school. And then with that instructor, she would use that against me. Oh, I think that you're using, you know, your ADHD as, as a crutch, as an excuse. <laughs> the first time I actually talk about it, right. she was very much a gaslighter. Yeah, no, that's, that's terrible. I mean, I mean, I've, I, I haven't had that experience, but to have someone who doesn't have your lived experiences who is dismissing them and deciding that, oh, that's your excuse, that's your crutch, that's your whatever. It's such fucking bullshit. And someone in a position of power in an anti-oppressive yeah. program. <laughs> Not to mention yeah, that. wildly ironic. Right. So when you started, did did things... 
did things feel okay from, I mean, they must have, if you were comfortable enough to start sharing a little bit at the beginning of the program. Yeah, it did. I met some great people. Uh, well, the whole our whole group was great, and of course, there was you know little like small groups within it, but it we all got along. And mm-hmm. if, you know, if somebody didn't like someone, like it, it didn't show. Nobody was you know outwardly mean to anybody else, and that was also one of the reasons why I was trying to hide what was happening with this instructor. And so we had gotten really close and I had feelings for her and she was, it it was reciprocal and, or she was leading me on without any intention to go further. I have no idea for, I, I, I honestly don't have an idea. However, she said things later on, like she only dates men, you know, just shitting on the fact that homophobia is also internal. Mm -hmm. So let me back up just a sec to make sure that I understand. So this is the same professor, the gaslighter. So it starts off that you guys have a nice relationship, a good relationship, potentially romantic feelings. To start with. So this is the first few weeks, first few months. This is the first few weeks. So I had first met her earlier in 2018. So when I applied for the program at the end of 2017, that's like the application date. And within a few months, you know, they're going through everybody's application and they invited who the people who they thought they would like to have in the program, they invited them for an interview. So I was invited for an interview. So I met her there. So the every interview panel had three people in it. And so there was her, uh, an elder, and one of the elders from our program, because there's two elders in our program, and another prof from the university. And, you know, it, it went well. It, I, it, was po- it was positive. And then uh, when it got, cl- then when they come back and tell you you're accepted and you you know, confirm your acceptance and you want to be in the program. Then we had a get together where, okay, we're going to all meet this one day. We're going to go over this one time that we're. So before every single one of these programs start, they do this, this, um, this get together for five days. And it's, it's not called culture camp, but people call it culture camp like just, you know, as a side. Mm-hmm. And what it is, we get together, we deal with, a, we get to know one another, we camp in the same place, and we look at different traditional values and teachings and learn things and, and whatnot. And so it's a five-day intensive, or it was a three-day. Anyhow, it was a few days. And that's when her and I, got close. That's when, well, a lot of us got close really, but mm-hmm. when her and I got close, we exchanged numbers. We'd be texting the following week. I think it was a, f- a few days after we had left there, her and I had driven like out of town together. We met up with another student in another town that he lived in. And then after we all hung out, uh, her and I continued on for a road trip by ourselves. and. So you've logged some serious time together in a few weeks. That's right. Yeah. And then 
and it was it was in secret, right? So people, you know, some people were part of her favorites group. So I was one, that other and student was one and and some others and and we just we we would hang around more together. Mm-hmm. So she smoked cigarettes. So because when we took breaks, I wanted to be around her. So I started smoking again. I hadn't smoked since I was for probably 20 years, if not more. And so I started smoking just to hang out with her and to go outside and be around her. And then we just, again, we just like kept texting a couple times. We hung out without other people knowing, without other people we had talked about going on vacation together. She's an NFL fan. So she's uh, American where the rest of us are Canadian. And so she. Man, helped. Americans are so fucked up. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, on behalf of all of us, I'm sorry for this. <laughs> I accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel good. Thank you. And so she was an NFL fan and we had talked about going to a game in the States together. We had, she had gone with another prof and another program to the States. And I was going to the States at the same time. She thought she, she was toying whether or not she was going to go because the other prof was going to bring her partner. And then she ended up not bringing her partner or they ended up not bringing their partner. And then she had said to me at the time, like, okay, I will go because I know that you're going. So at least like, there's a way out. Like I can come stay with you if I'm not enjoying myself. And then the other prof didn't end up bringing their partner. So we were in the same city at the same time. We didn't meet up, but we were talking the whole time. There were some chairs she wanted for her for her office because she didn't have nice chairs in her office. So I found them in the States and I brought them back for her. What else can I say? Yeah. Well, it, it, you're building, it, uh, you're building a relationship and it sounds like it's, there's intent there. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm wondering more than just a baseline friendship. And, for sure. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm getting maybe a little sense and I'm not sure if I'm reading it right, but like, the trip at the same time, you know, talking or texting or whatever, I didn't, it, but not seeing each other. Is there a level of manipulation that's going on at this point, do you think? A hundred percent. Okay. Because she was always uh, push and pull. It was mm-hmm. always on her terms. I was always waiting around to hear back. I would travel to the same, that same city on a regular basis, once or twice a year, because one of my best friends lives there. Okay. And so we ended up going the same time. I think, I, I, I want to say that it was like Thanksgiving long weekend in the States, but I can't remember for sure. And yeah, there, there was definitely manipulation. And one thing we didn't talk about, let me, Ask this, are you, let's see, is, are, are you part of, is it the first nation in Canada in like we call native Americans in the U S and it's first nation in Canada. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we say first nations. I am not, 
I'm white and it's a First Nations indigenous based program. Okay. Okay. Okay, so at what point did you start recognizing that that things were off? I think the chaos of it all, like, I, I knew that it was uncomfortable, but it was still exhilarating. Mm. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody who is a total gaslighter and fucks with your mind on a regular basis, but it, the the highs can be very high and the lows are very low and they get to... Right they get to control that at all times. So if I, so sometimes I would see her and she would be giddy and happy. And other times she would, you know, you know, not even acknowledge me. And I, it was very hot and cold. I never knew what I was walking into every day. I was going to school. I, I, I was anxious. So I'll just, I'll, I'll just say some, I'll, I'll finish the the storyline and then I'll get into that. And so this was still in the fall, so the first few months of the program. And then we had we had talked about going to going on different trips together and whether or not that was when we were still in this program. So we had talked about both and she was like, okay, if we go on this trip together, like you you can't tell anyone. And uh, sometimes she would say she would count the moons. So she would be like 11 moons, 10 moons. So insinuating that after I was done the program that we would be together. She didn't use those words, but when I would talk about it, she would count the moons. And then in December, we had met and gone, we had met at Ikea to get some things and to hang out. And we were there for for about two hours. We, I don't know if I bought anything, but we just got a couple little things, but we were like messing around in Ikea the whole time. She like got in the cart and I was pushing her around things that adults don't generally do. And professors don't generally do with their students. She was also my advisor for my for my thesis at that time, although I hadn't, we hadn't started our, the thesis program yet, the, our class, but that was, that was the intention. And so she had seen my work and she was, you know, guiding me along that. And she, she had, she had talked about, like, we had talked about going to Dollywood together in Tennessee because I had wanted to go there for quite some time. We also like there's lots of joking around and fun times that were happening in the program and like she would put on like my my bracelets I had bra- bracelets on but when I would type I would take them off because my computer was on my desk you know and they would get in the way she would put them on she would put on my glasses like lots of messing around and so we were talking about going on a trip together and the and Christmas vacation was coming up and she she said okay so if we come at this like we we you can't talk to anybody and planning like when we would leave and how that what would that would look like and then i said something about that one student who i had that friend of mine in the program who i had confided in the whole time she saw something she ended up being my closest friend in the program. And when we were at the camp, the culture camp in August, the second day, she said, is there something between you and this person? And I said, you see that? 
And she mm-hmm. says, absolutely. So on the, so I didn't even tell her initially that that was going on, but her and I were sharing a room at that camp. We didn't know each other. We had just met. And the second day she had clued in on it. So, so I had said, oh, I, I mentioned that person's name in a conversation. And she said, you told her that we went to Ikea? And I said, yes, but only because we were, you know, at the mall together and I had to go or, or something like that. And then she's like, I got to go. And, and she hung up and then she stopped talking to me completely. And she cut me right off. Oh God. And, and then, uh, I, I can't remember if we were done classes for December at that point. I believe we were, I can't say for sure, but when, uh, we returned for January, although over the holidays I had gone to the university just to do some work. I think it was uh, January 1st. And so I was the only one in the atrium area. It's this one off campus building. And so it's, it's smaller. And so when you walk in, there's, you know, the atrium and some tables. And so I was sitting there working and it was just me and the security guard and she had walked in. So she walked in and saw me and, you know, tripped over the rug because, you know, she was shocked to see me there and hadn't talked to me in weeks. And, and I had, you know, I can't remember if I had called her to leave her a message. I didn't call. She was the one who called me. I had, so maybe I had called her at that point, but I was texting her not a lot, but a couple of times being like, can we talk about this? She never responded. So when she saw me, she was shocked and she went to her office. And then when we started the class again, when we started class again, that's when I never knew what I was walking into, whether she would say hi to me or, and then because there was, there was a group of us, me and that one person and two others, there's a group of four of us that were close that we hung out and she would talk to them like she would come up to us because we were the ones that she was really close with and talked to the most and so she would come up to us as a group and not talk to me and not acknowledge that I was there and it was it was so hurtful and it was so inappropriate and like I, I just never knew how to be. And then, so when I wouldn't acknowledge her as well, cause why would I want to, you know, there's no point. Then she would call me out on it. Oh, you're not talking to me or you don't even say hi or what, like just constant gaslighting. So no matter what I did, I was fucked. No matter what I did, if I was happy, I was fucked. If I pretending I was happy, let's be clear trying to like just survive and get through the program. But if I didn't acknowledge her, then she would turn it around on me. So no matter what I did was wrong. By the time February came around. So at that point, then I had changed my advisor, had gone to the other one. And then I was trying to rush through some things. I wanted to get out of this program as quick as possible. I wanted to be done. I wanted to be done at that time. I didn't want to continue. Mm-hmm. And so I switched my advisors and I sent some things like my paper to her and she came back with corrections and we were going back and forth. And I was like, 
like you, you have different corrections for me every time. Like I snapped at her and then that ruined our relationship. But that happened because I was in such like turmoil about this other thing that was going on. I hated going to school every single day. It was so horrible and so abusive. And I'm trying to keep my cool and smile and not ruin it for everybody else because it was so small that I would have. So then here I am now, like this other instructor is annoyed with me. And then this one is, you know, behaving terribly. Mm -hmm. And February came around. By the time February came around, I was like, I need to get out of this program. It was so bad. I wanted to die and not, not that I was, suicidal but i wanted to die because i wanted it to be over it was so painful so a friend and i that she's not related to the university a friend and i had gone to mexico together for a week in february and she had you know she had known about what was going on of course mm-hmm. and when i got there I, oh, this professor also was on my social media. And, and when I had started the program back in August, I was like, are you on Instagram? And she says, well, I have like a private one. And so she created one because I had asked her to be on there and wanted us to follow each other. So she had started this Instagram after I'd asked her to. And Uh, this sounds, this sounds I'm sorry. I, I just some of the tactics and things that people. Oh, I don't. I I will have a private one with you. And I, I mean, and I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm also going to say this is yes. One of us has been in a relationship with lots of gaslighting. I, episode one for anyone who is listening to us for the first time. Go back. It's my episode. And I'm hearing this and. It's one of those things that these abusers are able to do things in a way that it's like, hey, Darlene, tell me, tell me what she did. And especially people that know her and see her good side, you know, there's plausible deniability there. There there are things that, oh, Darlene, you're overreacting. Oh, no, she didn't. She's not ignoring, you know, it's all of these little fucking things that the world might not recognize in and of themselves, but when you are in it, there is nothing that you can do to get out of it. That's right. Everything you said, something that resonated with me so much is you don't know who to be. You don't know, you know, if I come in happy today, that's wrong. If I come in looking all sad, that's wrong. If I, anything you fucking do is going to be the wrong thing that you can do. And I do have a question for you, or, or I, I don't know how this university works or education in, in Canada in general. Are you paying for this program? Sure am. Okay. So you're paying for it. And it's, you know, it's bad enough when it's a job you're going to every day, but people will say, well, quit and get a different job. You can't, and, and you're telling us that you can't just take these credits and plug them in or go to a different professor or anything. You are paying to go to this place and have, you've got no options, it sounds like. That's right. So, so yes, walking on eggshells is what you're explaining there. Walking on eggshells, knowing. When when she did uh, create the Instagram account, uh, she ended up 
adding other people in our program, but Mm -hmm. only after her and I had that conversation. And so the, the, her, a lot of our universities in this one is publicly funded. So Mm -hmm. we pay a portion of a smaller portion of what university costs and our taxes go into this. So not only am I paying her salary, but so is everybody else in this country. Right. Right. So, so I had gone to Mexico and like, because I was spinning and not doing well, I was checking to see if she was watching my stories, of course, because that's what mm-hmm. you do when you're in a fucked up situation like that. And she was, she was constantly watching my Instagram stories. So while I was there, I deleted her off my Instagram, which was a big deal. And it l- let me have a better time, which was great. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what happened when I came back or, or whatnot, but it, that type of, walking on eggshells and never knowing what she was going to be like and what I was walking into was constant throughout the whole program. And then like, just even myself, like I wasn't behaving like myself. I was in constant crisis because our, we had to be at school at least a couple times, at least twice a week, if not more. And also it was so intense that sure we were in class or not, but we'd be at the university working and working on our homework and working on, working on our thesis and whatnot. And at the time I was a foster parent. So I was, I, my house was busy all the time. I had high risk teens and I had support workers and respite workers here all the time. So I would stay at university to work because that was my university. And Mm -hmm. I would struggle with that thinking like, I shouldn't even be here. I'm like, no, you belong here. You should be here. This is your program. You're a student here, you know, talking myself through it because at home I wouldn't get anything done because there was always something going on. And so at some point I had gone to an organization that I was, when I was looking for, when I was seeking participants for my study, for my thesis and I misspoke. I said I met I misspoke in a way that got back to the university. And so then she was in a way, she was she was then in a position where she was able to give me shit. And so I was okay. called into this meeting and it had, you know, the director of our of our uh like grad studies or I don't know what the the her title was, plus her and plus an elder. And this was brought up and I just started crying, not because of what happened, but because like, after all this shit, you're so fucking abusive. And after right. all this shit, you're sitting here giving like, giving me shit. Yeah. When you knew that I was going to this place, and one of the things was, is I needed to, um, so I'm a first-time researcher, number one. I'm a student. Mm-hmm. You, We have advisors for a reason to advise us what we're doing, how to do it properly. And one of the issues was, is I was seeking participants in a passive manner, which means I couldn't go to a program and say, hey, I'm here doing the study. Does anybody want to, you know, talk with me? But she knew I was going that day. She knew I was going. And so then one of the, the things I got in trouble for, I got in trouble for two things. But one of the things I got in trouble for was that wasn't passive income. I Sorry, passive, um, passive uh, research, 
That's right. It was, I was going there and asking people when it should have been, you know, giving them a pamphlet. And Mm -hmm. she assumed no responsibility for that because she just sat there and berated me the whole time. And then she was able to get out all her anger. It was so messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And that that sounds terrible. And and it sounds like, I mean, just a complete abuse of her position and, and power, uh, as well as just abuse in, in, in general, you know, the, the type of relationship that, that the two of you had started. And, you know, I, I'm not going to let you off scot-free, totally. You know, it sounds like maybe some of the decisions you made to get into that relationship probably weren't for the best. And, you know, but that, I, I I just wanted to say that, but while acknowledging that that by no means gives her any right to do the things that she did, you know, we we're not going to victim blame here. I'm just acknowledging the fact that you know I certainly got into my marriage by making you know not the best decisions, and sometimes those decisions do have some consequences and. Boy, the, Decisions that, have consequences, but we're still working with the best information that we have right. when we start. For sure. And and so, Darlene, that's why we talk about decent fucking humans, because you doing something like that, you're a decent fucking human and you expect the person on the other side to be a decent fucking human. And OK, maybe the you could both see that uh, the relationship with someone in a power dynamic might not be for the best. Right. But that's something that's minor, something that, hey, you can work through and all of this. But you expect her to, on the other side, act like a decent fucking human. And she didn't. And that's where there's the the problems. And I, I just want to make it clear, and I'm not sitting here trying. I was actually trying to make sure we're not casting blame at you for maybe some of the small things. Well, it sounded made. like quite the opposite, Scott. But I want to make sure that <laughs> it didn't sound like quite the opposite. Um, I just wanted I'm, to I'm, I'm on Team Darlene here. Well, I'm on Team Okay, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> I, I'm not, not on t- Team Darlene. But we are running low on on time at, at this point, Darlene. So uh, let's just can we get to uh, what when you decided to file a complaint? So I had gone to the university. So then, I, after I had finished the program, the coursework, I ended up getting a whole other advisor in a different okay. program. And when I had gone to the university at some point to meet with her, I believe it was it was January, January twenty twenty. And I just broke down. I like, I finally like broke down about everything and I had held it in. I had, I had told, I, so then at that point I had told the director of my program and then I had told the Dean of like the, the faculty of social work. I had met Mm -hmm. with him and I was you know, in his office, shaking and crying and telling him the whole story. And he had, at that point, he had uh, referred me to the human rights department to make a complaint. And so I did that and I was still scared. And that person who I thought was my friend in the program, the one that I was really close with, at first she said she was going to come to the university with me because I didn't know if I could go talk to the dean by myself. Mm -hmm. And then she totally turned her back on me. And even when I, so I finally 
completed and sent in the complaint February 2020. And then when it was time to do the investigations, they the university hired a lawyer to do a, a formal investigation. Uh, that friend, even though she wasn't talking to me anymore at that time, she had she had already stabbed me in the back a couple times. So she had called me crying. This is an important part. So she'd called me crying in early January. And uh, she says, can I talk to you? And okay. She goes, and so we, we go, I go into another room because I was in the main area here at my house and people were around. And so she told me, she says, you know, when you had first talked about making a complaint in June or July of uh 2019, she said, um, I had told the professor. I, I was so shocked. I did not, I could not believe it. So I said, okay. And, and she was, you know, very upset and very apologetic. And she said, I didn't, I wasn't sure if like I believed in you going forward because of your role in what you also did in this. Right. And so I told her, so she totally betrayed my trust, uh, whether or not, well, we all act in the best way that we think that we can for whatever reason, whether it's mm -hmm. survival or whatnot. And so well, that's actually, that's not always true. Some people do devious things on purpose. Yes. And so when I, when I was being, interviewed and you know I had written it all out and it was 15 pages like single spaced and then there was an additional page with uh witnesses and this person was one of them including the two other friends that I had at the time in the program and mm -hmm. one of the other friends uh she turned that other person on me as well so they both stopped talking to me and then uh, I said, well, you know, this person isn't talking to me, this main person. And I said, but you can, when you interview her, she'll tell you the truth. She knows it all, right? Like she was there throughout it all. She saw exactly what went down. She heard about it. She saw it firsthand. Mind you, she did nothing about it. These are future social workers, by the way. And so she did nothing about it in an anti-oppressive program. Mm -hmm. And then when I got the report back, she lied. Every single thing that she said was a lie. Wow. And somebody else who was part of it lied. And I have witnesses for that. So, uh, and there are staff of the university who was there in another meeting and they lied. They said that I said and did something that didn't happen and whatnot. It looked terrible on me because it looked like both these people were completely um, saying that, yeah, it was my fault and I behaved terribly and this right. other person was innocent. And uh, so it's, it's held me back. So today in 2023, it's, I still haven't handed in, oh, I've handed in, you know, a couple different drafts of my thesis, but it's still not done. And I'm still paying university fees. And I struggle back and forth, like not wanting to be a number going back to the values that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Social work as a social worker, I had struggled quite a bit with calling myself a social worker. And I am a registered social worker. Because 
this is not why I'm a social worker and I don't believe in the profession if this is how social workers behave. So the one who threw me under the bus, the very good friend, those two people actually that turned on me right away, uh, they both went on to, they, they both submitted their thesis and they both went on to the PhD program. So they had an ulterior motive, right? They couldn't rock the boat in the faculty. Right. And then here I am still. I was one of the like, at that time, I was one of the three or four people. There was only a handful of us in the program who were almost done our thesis by the time we were done our, our, our coursework in August of 2019. And now I still haven't even handed it in because I don't even want to count as a number in that program. So, and just so you know, she's now the other, the person who was the head of the department, who she gaslit and was terrible to as well, left because of the bullying that, so that professor left because of the bullying that this one did to her. And Ah. now this one is the head of that, of my program that I'm still in. Okay. So what's the plan now? (laughs) Burn it down. You're 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 here to talk to us for a reason. To to talk about trauma holding you back, and so I say that we we you know this one doesn't get wrapped up in a nice little bow, right? We've we've got work to do. So what are we doing next? What what are we doing next? How how can Dan and I support the next step that you take? Oh wow! Do you want to be my thesis buddies? I don't know how, what that means, and I don't think you'd want us to be. I'm not good at research. I can't really write, and I definitely can't proofread anything. We're, we're, I don't we're, know what else is required of a thesis, yeah. buddy. So Dan's out. Okay. Well, I, I, my thesis because that would be plagiarism, but it is, it 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 is with edits now, and uh, the next step is is I have to do the next round of edits. But now that it's the you know end of July, I probably will need to wait another year to graduate because everything okay. need to be wrapped up in August, um, including my defense and whatnot. So right. I thought that I would have graduated in October, and that won't happen. So I need to just keep pushing through. But every time that I think about it, um, I just want to throw it to the side. And it's been a very long time. So that's how that's how the trauma holds us back, right? Yeah. And so I'm excited for the day that it's actually done and I and that this won't be weighing so heavily on my shoulders anymore and holding me back. Is telling your start story part of trying to move past that? I've been quite silent about it mm-hmm. this whole time, especially after the investigation. And I had recently, before, uh, right around the time that you and I first spoke, Scott, mm-hmm. I had recently gone to an event where I brought it up on stage and in a very short way. And that it opened me up so much knowing that I needed to get it out and be done with it. And really, I've done a lot of work with my with my own therapist on it. Sure. Um, And she's very supportive. But for some reason, I I'm still held back with handing it in. Yeah. 
you know what though? You're, you're processing it. You're, you're doing what you need to do. You're, I love the fact that you brought up therapy, telling your story, owning it a little bit, uh, all of this. These are the steps that, that are going to help you. And I commend you for all of that. And I'm very happy to see you doing that. And I think the way that we, I, I came up with the way that maybe we can best support you is we can have Dan, you know, when he reads the opening for this, he can read openings for like what you're going to do for the day. So like you are working on your thesis and do, you know, I can't do the great Dan voice, but you witnessed it live. You saw, I mean, he does a wonderful job. So if just you, give him a couple of scripts or at least a couple of words to, that he could put in his script. We'll get him to record some for you. Oh, that's perfect. I'll get him on my Voxer and he can just send me voice messages in the morning. On I Vox. don't know what a Voxer is, but that sounds great. <laughs> okay. I don't either. But but yes. I, Scott, damn. sounds like we're wrapping it up. I've got one more question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and this is unrelated to your story, which was great. And we're so happy you shared it with us. Thank you. Part of my ADD. Well, I'm going to say two things now. Part of my ADD when I have a large project, I get overwhelmed by it. And then I put it off to the side. It just that's part of everything I do. And then I feel wildly overwhelmed because the thing that I want to get done is off to the side. And then mm -hmm. I can't do anything because I'm just overwhelmed. And then I just watch TV instead of getting anything done. Or doom scroll on my phone for several hours. Mm -hmm. So what I recently and i can't believe it took me to like um in my mid 40s to do this but when i feel overwhelmed about the giant massive thing that like i want to get done and i'm not doing if i just get up and go do 5 minutes of that whatever it is man i feel so much better and i feel like a little bit closer to the end and i'll usually do a few hours of it then it can, you can feel it melting can't it's you it's unbelievable yeah. Yeah. And, and when I've done that, I also, as I'm doing it and after it's done, I'm like, that's not a big deal. That felt. Yeah, why, why did, why, what took me why that did, long? Yeah. Why did it take me so long? Yeah. And, right. and I, the other ironic part, because we've had lots of irony in this, but the <laughs> other iron, the, the other irony in this is that I work with people and support them to work through their barriers. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Well, it, but and, and, and those two things, supporting others and helping others totally different than doing that shit yourself yeah totally different it it, it is but it, again i can't help but point out i mean you didn't want to file a complaint right away necessarily then you did it it's taken some time uh, you've had a therapist now you're talking about it more so you're taking the steps in in, in a, yes. a direction and it sounds totally. like you've made progress as well you know you've made it through rounds of edits have more rounds of edits which will be so much easier when dan's reading the intro to you editing i think you know if you need it i'm happy to take anything you've got and run it through chat gpt too i'm really <laughs> capable of that <laughs> might get in a lot of trouble for that I, yeah. I believe that, but that's what I'm capable of doing if, yeah. if you need it. We, I think we already established Dan's out, except for <laughs> supportive voice messages. I okay, here's my, other, here's my other question. Here's my other question. Okay. Now, this is the one that's unrelated. All right. You have spent years studying the patriarchy and uh, colonial oppression. You're here on a call with two middle-aged white guys that have clearly benefited from 
being middle-aged white guys and open platform. What do you need us to know that we might not? I want to learn. I want to get better. I want to be a better person. That's it. You just said it. Oh shit. That was easy. Be a better person. (laughs) Every Every day we fuck up, right? We do. We're human. Keep your eyes open and do better. And me too. I fuck up. I put my foot in my mouth regularly and just move forward. Don't get stuck in it. That's a wonderful answer. And it's not very difficult to act on. It might be difficult to turn off our fucking Bluetooth speaker when we're having podcast conversation, but that's not difficult to act on. And thank you. I will continue to try to be better and to listen. <laughs> Do we want to go back 90 seconds and start this over? <laughs> why, why, why try to make a good podcast now, Scott? Well, you're the one who left in my rambling last week. So I had COVID last week and I asked this long, long rambling question that never turned into a question because I forgot what I was. I thought that if I talked long enough, I'd figure out where I was going. (laughs) Instead, it just made it way worse. And producer Dan chose to leave that in the episode last week. So I'm sure that the, the Bluetooth speaker in the background will make it onto this episode. Oh, it sure will. So, Scott, I'm 93% in for the tattoo. 93%? How do we get that to 94? Talk to your therapist about any rash decisions (laughs) that you might be making. (laughs) I'm not telling you yes or no, but I'm saying you've got a great sounding board that you have a good relationship with. It's helped you a lot so far. Maybe that's something you want to run by them before you get to 94. Just saying. I I think I've not, you know what? My therapist, my former, like I said, I graduated recently. So, so used, my therapist. Yes. I'll still dance therapist <laughs> called me a, a D F H. He, he used it. He said, you're a DFH. And I mean, come on. So what I took from that is therapists will support the decent fucking human tattoo. They'll encourage it. So that would, yeah, talk to your therapist to get you to 94%. And we'll, and Dan, you send her some voice notes or whatever telling her to get to studying in, in your positively terrible voice. And I think we've got this covered. You're going to finish your program. You're going to get a tattoo. I'm going to prove you wrong, Dan. <laughs> Everybody wins. <laughs> and we, we can finally talk about a tattoo that's been gotten. Yes, yes. Oh, there is lots of talk. There's there's chatter. There's chatter. There's lots of people. They're not telling you, Dan. They're telling me. I swear. I, and I mean this, like, literally. I've got, like, I mean, if you're at 94%, you've, you've I've got, surrounded like, yourself with people pleasers. No. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> we have a show about trauma. Most of the people who end up coming on consider themselves people pleasers. <laughs> I think that that's a trauma, a, a response that a lot of people have to trauma. Absolutely. So, Yeah. But yeah, so I look, I thank thank you so much, Darlene, for for coming on and, and sharing the story, especially one that's been hard to tell up until recently and probably still is hard to tell to some extent. You know, it's been great. I appreciate in every time I like to say that I'm grateful and and honored and in all of the words that we can come up with 
for you being willing to share with us and not just us. We've got listeners, you know, that your story is going to be out there and it takes, it takes some, some courage to be able to come out and tell these stories. So thank you so much. And you passed the decent fucking human test. Uh, we really enjoyed, well, I'll speak for myself. I'll say I really enjoyed, but Dan already said that he's very much enjoyed this time as well. So I guess we'll just wrap that up in the way I always do and tell you that this has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica Fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best. I was right. And that night we got into a water gun fight that I won. I shot you in the face. It was fate. I offered you a spring. You declined. I said, keep it. You might decide to change your mind. You did.